It's the Health in the Real World podcast. It's time to start the show with Chris Jenke as your host. Here to give you everything that you need when it comes to fitness strategies. We keep it simple and easy. It's your roadmap to get healthy. You don't need equipment and you don't need a gym. Just the right strategies to get you fit and trim. The Health in the Real World podcast is sponsored by... If you have kids, you know how hard it is to motivate them to do anything. Kids want to be in charge of their own lives to the extent possible. They are capable of more than we think. Now, this journal that I've created helps to empower your child, allowing them to take charge of their own little lives. And guess what? It also gets them to actually do stuff. It's pretty awesome. You can track chores that you pay them for. You can track chores that you just need them to do, regardless of whether or not they get paid. You're teaching kids the value of work and money while having fun. This is going to save the day. Again, the chore book by me, Chris Jenke, available at Amazon.com. Hello and welcome to Health in the Real World. I'm Chris Jenke, joined today by uh, Dr. Joseph Volpicelli. And uh, Dr. Volpicelli is a world-renowned scientist, clinician. His research has led to many important discoveries in addiction treatment. His research led to the discovery of uh, naltrexone, pronounced right? Mm-hmm. To, to treat alcohol addiction. It's an FDA-approved medicine used worldwide to reduce alcohol cravings and relapse. And his research also led to the discovery of a, psycho, a psychosocial approach designed to improve treatment, engagement, and retention. Dr. Volpicelli, thank you so much for joining us today. No, thank you ha- for having me. Well, you, uh, you have some experience. This is what we were laughing about a little bit right before we hit record was you're like, um, you're like uh, Van Morrison, like doing a, a tour. <laughs> you got, you got 40 years experience. You've done this for a while. You're an expert. Uh, give us a little more background about who you are, how you got into this originally and, and what you're up to right now. Yeah. So I first got interested in addiction treatment when I was a, uh, in medical school at university of Penn. And I was working with a patient who had just returned from Vietnam and in Vietnam, he used a lot of opiates but we came back to the United States, he started abusing alcohol. And when I saw him, he was addicted to alcohol. And, and uh, at the time I was also doing research in the psychology department, I wanted to understand what was the relationship between alcohol and and opiates. And uh, I did some research with rats and we came up with the discovery that the opiate blocker naltrexone was helpful for people who had alcohol problems and did a clinical trial. I went to uh, join the faculty at University of Pennsylvania where I worked for 25 years and we found a medicine that received FDA approval and works and uh, is really helpful. it's also helpful for people with opiate addiction as well. But one of the things I found was that while the research and academic community accepted the findings, it wasn't really being applied in a clinical setting. So in 2008, I left Penn to set up the Volpicelli Center, which is a model program to show that uh, what we learned in research could be used in the real world. Wow. That's a, that's a great kind of marriage of that research that you did. And then, all right, everybody, this is how you do it. This is, this is how it is on a practical level. So you're, you're coming at this from two sides, right? The medical and then also more of the psychological side has, do you find that you're very unique in that aspect or do most people, most treatment centers come from one or the other? 
most treatment centers come from one or the other, and that's what's so frustrating because it's pretty clear from the research data that the two work synergistically to help people in recovery. And many programs either offer the medications or the psychosocial treatment, but they don't offer both. And and again, uh, my approach is that the the combination offers people the very best chance of recovery. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm looking at your website now, and you have uh, six. There's seven other people other than you just listed on the website. I don't know if you have anyone else, but I mean, there's a DO, there's another MD. Uh, there's what? Is, what is the PAC certification or license? Is that? Yeah. So we have addiction counselors. We have um, nurse practitioners, physician mm-hmm. assistants. So we have a, a wide range of healthcare professionals that are working together as a team. I think that's great. And, and you, you have one goal and then you have different people coming at it from different angles, different experts coming in. Um, what have you seen in, and when did you say you started this? Uh, in 2008 is when I left Penn and 2009, okay. I set up the program. About thir- 13, 14 years. What, what have you seen in that time as far as results that, that you and your team have been able to achieve with people? Yeah, so one of the things that's really important in addiction treatment is to engage people in treatment and get them to stay in treatment. For example, of the uh, two and a half million people who are addicted to opiates, less than half of them are in any kind of treatment at all. And of those people who are in treatment, fewer than 35% of them are receiving a, an effective medicine to treat their disorder. And of the people who get the medicine, a lot fewer of those get the combined medicine and psychosocial treatment. So people are not really getting optimal care. And that's really a shame because last year, 100,000 people died of overdose. And of those, about three quarters were were related to opiate overdose. So it's the number one killer of people under 50 years of age. We can do a better job. Number one. Number one, yes. So it's higher than cardiovascular disease, cancer, everything. And so it's a, it's a terrible epidemic in this country that we're not addressing very well in the treatment community. Yeah. And the good news is there's effective treatments out there. The bad news is people aren't getting it. Now, how are you getting attention from other healthcare practitioners who like, are there copycats? I, I mean, I know we don't want, you know, too much competition for your business, but on the other hand, we want probably a lot of copycats because your stuff is working. Right. So, yeah, that's my mission right now is I like the copycats. As a matter yeah. of fact, uh, when I came up with naltrexone, rather than patent it, I made it available for everyone. So there's no patents on it. When I came up with the psychosocial treatment, I didn't patent that. And uh, other uh, research findings, I was fortunate enough to get a, uh, a grant to go to medical school. So I didn't have to pay for medical school. And I feel like I owe something back to the to the people who helped support me. Wow. for my training. And so I actually set up a nonprofit entity called the Institute of Addiction Medicine. And the mission, the goal of that program is to spread what we've learned from our treatment protocols and, and help teach other folks. So we have an active program of teaching. Um, I have residents in primary care who rotate with us. I have uh, physician assistants who train with us, nurse practitioners. We just trained a nurse practitioner who I went up hiring last year. And, um, other you know, physicians and other healthcare providers. And one of the things I'm interested in doing now is to help bring the message out to the general community. That's why I'm sitting here with you to help the general public understand that there's good effective treatments out there. And it's important that you demand quality care. Yeah. Yeah. That is, uh, that's fantastic. So what somebody who maybe is 
going in, like checking into care at another facility, not yours, what, what questions does that person ask to make sure that, that who they're working with is, is hitting this from, from both sides? Yes, yeah, so many programs will advertise that they are a quality treatment program. So you go inpatient for 30 days and the program costs $60,000. And when you look at their website, they're advertising that they have five-star chefs and they spend time, uh, uh, you know, petting the dolphins and that sort of thing. That's not necessarily effective treatment, the quality of food that you get, a right. beautiful facility. What's important is to see, look at their staff. What's the training? Do they, do they have staff that have at least master's degree in counseling? Do they have physicians on the staff? What percent of patients, when they leave the program, leave the program on an effective medicine? And then what kind of referrals do people have? I've worked with inpatient programs to try and describe my approach to treatment. And some of the programs said, well, we're really proud of our program because of people who come here, you know, 60% come back. That's because they like the program so much. And I say, I'm not sure I would be so, right. you know, optimistic with that kind of data. I'd you rather don't. see data that they didn't come back because <laughs> right. they got better. <laughs> you don't want anybody coming back. Exactly. And so yeah. we, we need to set up programs that are incentivized to get people better, not to return to treatment. And unfortunately, right now, that it seems to be more of a revolving door that people are in and out of treatment and they're not getting effective treatment. So you mentioned statistics. Um, for people to ask, what are, what are some statistics that you use with people? What, what have you found um, with your success rate and things like that? Oh, thank you. That's, <laughs> I love talking about my statistics. So in, the, in general, people who get prescribed, say, buprenorphine for opiate use disorder, less than half of them are still taking the medicine at six months of treatment. And it's really clear in the research that for a buprenorphine to be effective, you need to be on it for at least a year. So even people who wind up getting on buprenorphine, they're not getting the optimal level of care. And so when we designed our program where we integrated um, our psychosocial approach, which is not too dissimilar probably to what you do with the clients that you work with, you try to get people engaged in treatment and get people coming back. Yep. That's the most important thing to get people coming back, not that they had a great two hour workout one time, but they come back for the duration. And so in, when we combine our approach, we have over 60% of people still in active treatment at 12 months. And those statistics are, you know, much better than any other program that I can think of. And when you do that, people actually get better. And that's what we find. And uh, for me, uh, working with people with addictions is incredibly rewarding that, that not only they do better, but their families are doing better. And I see people get reconnected with uh, people, uh, you know, with relationships, they have some purpose in life. And, and for me, it's just a great rewarding field, but you need to offer people quality treatment. And when you do that, people get better. Yeah, absolutely. So talk to us about digital therapeutics. This was uh, this is kind of the future, right. Of, or what you're working on now. Yeah. So what I found was I designed a psychosocial program, which involves, uh, motivational techniques to help people get in treatment and it works really well. So that's what we use in our center and we have people trained to use it and it works very well. And I wanted to train other people to use it. So I hired doctors, I've tried to train doctors and, and other healthcare professionals. And what I find is the doctors just don't have time in their schedule to do it. And some of them are interested, some of them are not interested. They just want to prescribe the medicines 
and that's the interaction. But it's not the case for all physicians, but for many in the healthcare field right now, they just don't have the time to talk to people. And so I said, well, why don't you integrate counselors with your program? But it turns out that when you integrate counseling with medical care, the reimbursement schedule doesn't work out neatly. Uh, and so that doesn't occur. So you have programs that do the counseling, other programs that do the medical, and the programs don't really talk to each other very much. And when you try to train folks, the healthcare professionals, uh, they're either not very good at it, they're not interested in it, it just doesn't happen. And during the pandemic, especially, we found a lot of folks who could have really benefited from the counseling just weren't able to get it. That, uh, you know, difficulties in, in going into treatment, finding the, a number of uh, qualified counselors to offer treatment has been really limited as well. And there are many areas, particularly rural areas and other poorly served areas where there just aren't counselors available. And then some folks, even if they could afford treatment, don't want to go because of stigma and, and other factors. So work together with some companies to come up with some notions of how we can do this digitally. And that seems to be sort of a revolution in healthcare right now that for a variety of disorders, including people who have insomnia, people with depression, people with alcohol use problems, disorder. What we find is these digital therapies can teach people skills to learn to cope with high risk situations, to learn to cope with anxiety and to be better engaged in treatment. And so we're doing a study now using a program called Medea, which is a digital therapeutic, which combines CBT therapy with motivational interviewing, and it's designed to enhance people's engagement and retention and treatment. And we hope that that uh, can be combined with uh, the medicine to help improve patient engagement and retention. And uh, other studies suggest that that's likely the case, but we'll see when we complete our research study if that indeed is true. Wow, that's fascinating. Um, how, what would you tell somebody who's on the fence about contacting you? You know, they, they, they have an addiction or they, they think they do or somebody's told them or mm -hmm. whatever the, the symptom is in, in their life and they're, they're on the fence about contacting you. What, yeah. What's the transition to get in the door here? Yes. Yeah, so a, a lot of people think of addiction sort of black and white terms that, you know, uh, addiction is someone who, at least in our Philadelphia area, someone who goes to Kensington, scores drugs, unemployed, sitting there in the corner, just shooting up with a dirty needle. That That's not necessarily what addiction is. That's maybe at the later stages. But if you're, say, taking a prescription medicine and you find that you need a higher and higher dose to get the same effect, if you find that when your prescription runs out and you feel withdrawal symptoms and you need to redose on the drug to feel better again, then, you know, you're sort of stuck in that addictive cycle that use begets more use. And that addictive cycle then leads to a variety of problems that so you start thinking about the drug all the time. You start ignoring other things in your life. Work isn't as important. Social relationships are important. What's most important in life is making sure you have a supply of drugs to avoid the withdrawal. That's when you need to start asking for help. Because when you try and stop on your own, you go through terrible withdrawal, and that's really uncomfortable for people. And it's just easier to redose on the drug than to look at the long-term goal, which is to be free of the drug. So if you call our office, we're happy to talk to you. We're a really non-judgmental site. We, 
you know, we work with a variety of people from all facets of life, uh, professional athletes, doctors, lawyers, clergy, and we do it in a very private setting. You know, I think we don't even have addiction center in the door. It just says executive offices. So it's really private. And, and, and we try and create a nice, safe environment for people to come in and talk about their issues and, and help them. And, and uh, again, it's important to address the issue before it becomes a more serious problem. It, you know, many people who wind up having addictions, they don't start getting treatment for it until they're four years in. And that's not the way to, to treat disorders. I mean, uh, you know, one of the big advances we've made in treating heart disease is that we've recognized the risk factors and we intervene early. And uh, so that's, that's what we like to do is, is encourage people to come in before it becomes a real serious problem. And with the combination of medicines, like social support, you have a really good chance of getting better. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. Well, um, Dr. Uh, Volpicelli, I want to give you a chance to go really big picture, help people get to know you even a little bit more. Uh, last question is uh, we're going to put you as a keynote speaker at a graduation. And great. you're, you're going to give a motivational speech to these new graduates on how you think they can get the most out of their lives. Yeah. So a couple points I like to make. One is to be curious. Don't judge. Be curious that the way you learn is by trying to understand something. I, I remember uh, working with these uh, pigeons who um, we would train the pigeons to peck a key light to, to get food. But then we set the condition where they had to refrain from pecking the key light to get the food and pigeons couldn't do that. And we thought the pigeons were pretty dumb. But when we tried to understand the disorder, not judge it, we found that what happened was the pigeons were conflicted between their reflexive classical conditioning, pecking the key versus the instrumental conditioning where they, they peck to get the key, uh, the, the food. And, and by trying to understand the disorder, instead of judging it, we had a much better way of treating it. And the same thing with working with my patients, uh, that when you work with people with addictions, they come in Monday and they, they say, I, that's it. I never want to drink again. I never want to use drugs again. This is terrible. But by Friday, when they're back in a situation where they're with friends and in the bar, you know, the classical conditioning takes over where their craving increases and they wind up slipping. And it's not that they're bad people. It's not that they have any defect in their character. It's by understanding the processes that underlie people's motivation, you have a much better chance of affecting it. And, and so stay curious. Don't judge. When you judge something, you stop asking questions about it. It's, uh, you know, people will just consult the textbooks. I, you know, I have a famous saying that, uh, you know, people will get in a debate with me and what's the correct way. And I'll say they're the expert and I'll say I'm the expert. I say, you know what? It doesn't matter. What we say in five bucks buys you a gallon of gas today. That what's important is what are the data? Let's collect the data and see what works. That's what's important. That's the final judge here. So, uh, and life is a whole lot more fun that way that uh, people who judge wind up uh, being angry at other people or being guilty. And it's just a hard way to go through life to stay yeah. curious. Yeah. Yeah. That judgment, uh, taking sides and, you know, I'm right, you're wrong. That's what that leads to. Well, thank you for that. Uh, Dr. Joseph Volpicelli, uh, how do people get in touch with you, your clinic? 
Yeah. So at the, our website, you can just uh, <clears throat> Google uh, uh, my name or you can go to VolpaCelliCenter.com and come to the website. If you're interested in Modia and the research we're doing there, it's us.modia. Uh, what is it? Dot com, I believe. And so you can find out more information about what we're up to and, uh, and be happy to, to talk with people and give them some encouragement to get, get the right kind of care that they need. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much again for joining. Again, we have, uh, I'm Chris Jenke, Dr. Joseph Volpicelli with us today of the Volpicelli Center in Pennsylvania, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Health in the Real World show. Make sure to like and subscribe and comment down below. Visit mycorebalance.com to learn more.